0: To me, good marketing is going to discount as many people as it includes. So, you know, it's going to say this is going to be great for people in X, Y, Z situation, but it's also not going to be great for people in X, Y, you know, these other situations. Like if you make less than a certain amount or if you don't have X number set aside or can't handle risk, like good marketing is going to make that distinction and not say everybody should do this. Mm. Everybody needs this. You know everybody needs water and oxygen largely but past that there's a lot more nuance in the <laughs> conversation and if, if the marketing doesn't include that nuance then that needs to be a red flag
1: welcome to money vision you in this podcast we are passionate about teaching the financial class you should have had in high school so you can learn how to fast track your financial freedom if you want to learn how to make manage and multiply your money and see opportunities the way the wealthy do, then you came to the right place. I'm your host, Stuart Berryhill. Money Vision U, class in session. Welcome to another episode of Money Vision U. Today, we have Anna Karis on the podcast with us today, and she is a financial planner, and she specifically likes to advise women and millennials, and I thought that was a super interesting kind of niche there, so excited to dive into that. But with that being said, Anna, welcome to the podcast.
0: Thanks for having me.
1: Yeah, uh, I think you're going to have a lot of very good info that's going to be fun to dive into. We're going to uh, even talk about some uh, TMZ, hot topic, you know, things you see on TikTok nowadays. So we're, we're going to dive into those so that, that should be fun. But before we kind of get into some specific questions we got, just tell us about your background and uh, why those specifically with, you know, advising millennials and women, why those are specifically some of your passions and maybe how you kind of got into that.
0: Sure. So my background is actually in education. Um, After I graduated from college, I was in a Teach for America type program called City Year, where I was in a ninth grade algebra one classroom working with those students. And while I found I have an immense passion for teaching people new things, especially things that people think that they might not necessarily be good at, Um, I also found that being a teacher in the state of Texas was not my calling. So (laughs) um, through a mentor from college, I found the world of financial planning and have been there ever since, Um, have genuinely enjoyed it. Um, Like anything else in life, there's ups and downs. And I came to the millennials and women's niche largely just because that's what I had available to me when I first started Uh out in in business you know most of my friends are female most of them are roughly my age and a lot of them were teachers because you know um so when I first started out I was like hey guys I'm doing this new thing um they were the people that I knew and those were the people that they knew so it, it started out as just like what was available and eventually I decided to lean into it because I feel like a lot of the advice that is given to those two groups you know women and younger people is you know it's there's good basic advice that everybody can follow and but then there's a, a level of nuance to it that i think that those two very underserved groups need when it comes to their financial planning needs okay. so the more i learned about it the more i was like well I can teach people things and as a woman and a millennial, who better to talk about these things. So let's, yeah, right. We'll go with
1: it. <laughs> yeah. So your, your avatar in the sense of who your clientele is, is yourself. Me. <laughs> so, and I think that's what a lot of people do. I mean, your avatar is yourself. Kind of, you know, we do Airbnb. So we're kind of thinking about what would we enjoy and that's kind mm-hmm. of who we market to. And, yeah. you know, we, we fall in the millennial age group as well. I don't know if you know this, I was a teacher as well. So uh, <laughs> The Love podcast that. is almost an extension of that, probably similar to how your financial planning is. I mean, you were in the numbers game, Algebra One, you know, that's no joke. Yeah. So, uh, again, if
0: I, if I can teach 14 year olds Algebra One, I can teach people how to balance budget.
1: That's right. Don't have it,
0: good time.
1: Exactly. Exactly. So, um, very cool. Now, tell us uh, how much advice can you go into here with, um, you know, things that you'd like to tell? And everyone, you know, obviously has their own individual circumstances, but. With women and millennials, what are some things that you are seeing? And maybe that's even two sp- different specific groups there. Mm-hmm. But what are some things you're seeing that we can do better at? I say we because I'm a millennial myself. Uh, but what are some things that we as millennials or women can do better at in you know financial planning or uh, I guess preparing for their future financially?
0: Mm -hmm. so I think that there are two two main things and one of them is like female specific and the other is young people in general women do it but it's young people in general so on the one hand when it comes to working with women I still find that a lot of women even in the younger age groups who have a heightened level of um of the importance around financial planning and good financial management, there's still this tendency to pass off some or all financial decision-making responsibility to a spouse or a partner in, you know, when it's Mm. a heterosexual relationship anyway. Mm -hmm. Um, There still seems to be this, this, this notion that men or male partners know more about money when in reality, that's not necessarily the case. We all don't know anything. So, I think uh, passing off that management, yes, it's nice to have things off of our plate, but ultimately, I think everybody should know what is going on with their finances. At the bare minimum, they should know where the money is. Mm -hmm. Um, And I think just by knowing where the money is, you put yourself in a much better position in life. And then the second thing that I see that's more of a young people, specifically, you know, millennials, Gen Z, those two groups is the you know the you only live once mentality and there's that TikTok mm. video or that TikTok trend that went around for a little while it's like you know um i i you only live once but i'll only be you know 20 riding on a vespa in italy uh one time in my life and i can always uh, make more money and yes you can as a young person your peak income earning years are very likely ahead of you you know if if you know that's generally how that right, works. You, right. hit your, you hit your stride somewhere between your mid thirties and your your mid forties, um, unless you're a man, in which case your peaking home earning years last longer. But that, that's a different <laughs> conversation. Um, but the the thought that the money that you earn, and specifically the money that you put away in your twenties and thirties, doesn't matter is a really big issue because it's not how much money you have in the market, although that helps. It's the time that your money has in the market to grow. Um, So I would argue that the money that you put away in your 20s and 30s is actually orders of magnitude more important than the money you put away in your 40s and 50s. Because, yeah, you might have less of it, but that money needs as much time to grow as possible. Um, And so those are the two big mistakes I see.
1: So I don't know if you have any maybe numbers off The top of your head but like you're talking about time in the market essentially Mm -hmm. time that you are investing because it may sound very small to be Mm -hmm. 20 years old and investing called a thousand dollars a year Mm -hmm. or something like that you know nothing big Mm -hmm. and that can sound really meaningless and that's why someone will say YOLO I'm gonna only live, I, I don't know that I'm not a huge social media guy, I try, but uh, <laughs> uh, like the, You're down with the kids, <laughs> yeah,
0: it,
1: um, it's a lot of work, so um, but anyways, yeah, you know, riding on a Vespa in Italy, things like that. I mean, that seems like such a better use of a thousand dollars now than investing a thousand dollars where I don't see it until later.
0: Mm-hmm. So,
1: is there any, I guess, numbers? Because essentially, you're talking about compound interest. And, mm-hmm. uh, and so you might go into kind of defining that a little bit, but is there any sort of numbers about maybe what your investment, not investment amount, but uh, I guess savings amount, you know, retirement, uh, retirement amount, whatever you want to call it, how that looks differently than if you invest in your 20s and 30s compared to if you get started kind of in your 40s? Do you kind of have any sort of data with that?
0: I do actually. So if we let's say we have a goal, we want to have a million dollars for retirement by the time we're 65, big, broad stroke numbers. And obviously, everybody wants to have more than a million dollars. And obviously, Uh everybody wants to retire before they're 65. But like, bear with me here, people, I need a case study to work with um let's assume a very uh, a reasonably conservative market rate of return of about seven percent you know historically the s&p 500 has averaged about 10 ish percent but let's 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 you know say that we we've got some down years in there and we're just Mm -hmm. we're gonna go we're gonna go like this year (laughs) exactly (laughs) um so we've got a market rate of return of seven percent we want to have a million dollars by the time we're 65 and we want to stop working beautiful. Um if we start investing when we are 25 years old, the amount of money per month that we have to invest in order to hit that million dollar goal by the time we're 65 with that 7% rate of return is in the 300s. It's something like $330 per month, which okay. seems a little bit less attainable to somebody who's in their early 20s, but by the time you're in your mid 20s, you know, you're you might be done with school or you might have finished trade school or your business might be off the ground, whatever it is, $300 a month is it's it's still a big number, but it's a manageable number if that makes sense.
1: Yeah.
0: Um, however, if we wait until we're 35 to start investing, you know, maybe we're a doctor who took forever to finish residency, or you know, maybe we just we spent our 20s having fun and we're learning lessons in our 30s. Whatever your case. Mm-hmm. If we wait until 35, same assumptions: a million dollars by 65, seven percent rate of return. The number we have to invest every month is actually over eight hundred dollars. It's wow. like eight hundred ten. Exactly, it's more than double just by waiting ten years. And again, if we're making good money, especially if we're in a dual income dual income household, which by the time we're thirty five, many of us are dual income households, eight hundred still seems like a, a reasonable number potentially. Mm-hmm. Um, However, if we wait until we're forty-five to start investing, like my father, and we don't change our assumptions, and again, this is where expectations and things like that are very important, then we have to do over fifteen hundred dollars a month to wow. hit that same million-dollar number. And it might be twelve hundred. That's all. You know, it's either twelve hundred or fifteen hundred. We're just going off the top mm-hmm. of my head. But over a thousand dollars a month in order to hit that same number by sixty-five. And if we really mess around and we, you know, we're, let's say we're one of the, you know, the growing number of older women who are getting divorced in their fifties and we don't start saving for retirement because our husband was doing all of that. Let's say we still want to have a million dollars by the time we're 65, but we didn't start investing until we were 55 and we still have that 7% rate of return. Then we have to do over $5,000 a month every month in order to
1: do that.
0: And so, as as that, which I think is a very clear representation of the earlier you start making these choices, the better off you're going to be. Yeah. Um, And that's, and there are things that you just won't be able to change. So, you can't change the stock market. I mean, unless you're, uh, unless you become the supreme world dictator, which I'm working on, I promise I am, but I'm not there yet. So, you have to make your choices and you have to make your changes on your end because there are other things that you just can't control. So,
1: just to recap basically if you start investing when you're 25 years old mm-hmm. and we're using 65 years old as kind of the time frame mm-hmm. uh, 7% average return every year then at 25 years old you need to invest about $330 per month so less than $4000 300 per year. or 350
0: whatever the number yeah, is some, the top of my head something
1: like that and you'll likely beat 7% mm-hmm. but um also so that would give you a million dollars 35 it becomes $800 plus dollars. Now, you said you may have dual income. I would argue you also probably have uh, more expenses as well. And there might be that's... a couple
0: of kinder running around at that point as yeah, well. So... so it
1: might be harder then as well. And then $45 is $1,555. Uh, is five thousand. Yeah. Just keep your money at that point. Um, <laughs> at that point 5, we were, we we're playing month, the lottery
0: geez. or something like that. I don't know. Yeah.
1: Yeah. So yeah, that's that's great numbers. Uh, I, I think data just to show people the the significance, the importance mm-hmm. of starting early. I mm-hmm. also think, and this is my two cents, the earlier earlier you start, I think it, as long as you're paying attention to your money, because obviously people have you as a financial planner and advisor and you help them with this and that but if you're paying attention to your money, you're probably going to figure out different ways that you can multiply it better over time, uh, the more just time that you have spent learning about it. So if you start at 25 to 35, you got 10 extra years that you're figuring out, hey, yeah, S&P 500 is great, but I do want some in real estate. And you know, you're know, tr- you're figuring out these different things. Maybe you're investing into your business, whatever it is. Mm-hmm. And so it's not just the um, specific dollar amount. To me, I think the time time spent learning amount is something significant, too, that people might not be thinking about. But, yeah, that's that's great data there. Any any, uh, other things that you might have to add to that point?
0: um well yeah no and you actually brought it up it's we you know money compounding is important but knowledge compounding is also important mm, you know you, yeah. you build those foundational skills you you know you you learn to live on less than you make you learn to put money into savings for emergencies foundational skills that you know as we move through our financial journey eventually those just become like oh yeah those are those are a given these are we got we got yeah. it we know it yeah. Um, from there we move on and we increase our financial knowledge and we, we also learn about our preferences. There are some people who just prefer, you know, if we want to do real estate, say, you know, there are some people who prefer a REIT, a uh, real estate investment trust versus physical property. Mm-hmm. And there's nothing wrong with having that preference. It's, you know, it's, but again, you have to have some time in the game and have put in some work to learn to know that, you know, this thing is even an option if you don't like doing physical property. So again, yeah, yeah. compounding knowledge is also important.
1: Yeah. And, I would. Yeah, I'm sorry. I was just going to say to me, you know, we always think of money as a currency. You spend it, invest it, all that stuff. But time is, has the same qualities as, a, mm-hmm. as money as a currency. So spend it, invest it. So, uh, yeah, great point. And then compounding, essentially, that means if you have 330 or, or say you're uh, well, $4,000 in a year, you're gaining interest on that at 25 years old. I was trying to think of how to put this into math, but uh, you might be able to help. You've probably talked about this more than I have, but $4,000 a year, you gain 7% interest. Don't know what that is. Let's say 10%, call it $400. Uh, <laughs> We're know. going with easy
0: math here, y'all. <laughs> yeah, easy math.
1: Um, you can get 10%. I mean, you know, surely people can figure out how to get 10% over time, but um, $4,400 and then compound interest, uh, correct me if I'm wrong, essentially means that now, your next year, you're 26. You add four thousand, call it a principal. Mm-hmm. So total amount invested, call it eight thousand. Mm-hmm. But oh man, I'm gonna I'm gonna mess people up with. Up I, with I, got this you, I got you, I
0: got you. I know what okay, you're about to say. I'm gonna help cut you out. off because you're about to confuse people. Yeah. yeah so, help me out. you... Like, like you said, you know, 25 to 26, you know, you put in your $4,000, you've gotten your $400 of interest, we've got $4,400, we're feeling good about ourselves, Mm -hmm. then we put on, you know, our next $4,000, we've got $8,400, right. And now we're earning our 10% interest on $8,400 rather than $4,000. And when you start looking at numbers that way, 10% 10% of $8400 is $840 and yep. you know that once you see that it starts to stack up like that and it does generally take much longer to you know start seeing it but if we can start conceptualizing you know now we're building on our 2 years of work or our 3 years of work and our 4 years of work and you can see how those numbers can get exponentially larger it's it's not a linear game
1: right by right. The stretch of
0: the imagination when you look at the models it's a, it's an exponential model
1: it's huge um, difference yeah
0: so huge. you just you just got to write it out
1: So, yeah, that's a great example of compound interest. And so essentially when it comes to millennials, your advice, the the key thing is get started. Understand the power of compound interest. That is that is really the root of it. And then with with women, it is understand what's going on, because, you know, even if you're married, don't just leave the finances to the spouse. Mm -hmm. Understand, hey, how much is being invested? Uh, Pay attention to how it is growing. Mm-hmm. Um, maybe, you know, help with a budget. Some, some, uh, women probably may be more naturally, uh, inclined to do some of these things. Some may not be. So you're probably targeting those that are thinking, Oh, just let someone else take care of it. But you know, what if a worst case scenario happens, a spouse dies, something like that. Mm-hmm. You want to be able to continue to Grow and multiply that money, but Mm -hmm. uh, that—that's essentially what you're saying with women is understand what's going on. Don't don't just let that be uh, the spouse's responsibility. That is a team thing.
0: Yes, yeah, you know, let's. So in in my household, you know, we split responsibility for cooking versus dishes. Yours Mm -hmm. truly does most of the cooking. My lovely fiance does most of the dishes. I love to cook. He likes to do dishes. It's a beautiful split Mm -hmm. of skill sets and enjoyment. Money is not that thing. Everybody should know Mm. what's happening with the money, especially when it comes to women, because we do make statistically many more of the household buying decisions. You know, when it comes to the grocery shopping list, the back to school list, things like these, these are going to be decisions that we're generally the ones making. So it only makes sense to take it the next step further and make sure that not only do we know what's happening in the monthly budget, but also we know what's happening everywhere else. Because like you mentioned, disasters happen, you know, it's maybe it's a death Maybe it's their spouse gets injured and can't work for a little yeah. while, or maybe maybe it's a divorce. That's also statistically something that's likely to happen to a, a percentage mm-hmm. of the population. And, you know, everybody says it'll never be me, but the divorce rate is still closing in on 50%. So, <laughs> mm-hmm.
1: yeah, so definitely good to be, I mean. I like the analogy you gave there with the chores, you know, un- understand things that can be separated oh, yeah. doing the dishes and doing the cooking that can be separated finances. So that's not something so you're a team. It's the same thing with probably raising kids. You want to be on the same page with these things uh, because I know that that can be probably, those are probably two of the main things. I, I would imagine kids and, and finances that uh, really can be something that caused division uh in, in a marriage or something like that. And those are those are things you just definitely want to be on the same team with. So definitely good advice, uh, advice there. Any other things that you have or uh, or would say to women kind of getting started financially, even. And I guess if they're not married yet, it's the same advice. Get started early. But any other thoughts on that before kind of switching gears or topics here so
0: yeah well my other advice would be more universal it's if you're not married yet or even if you are married and haven't started having these conversations yet because a, a ridiculous number of people don't talk about money before they get married something like 40 percent. wild oh, wow. um so if you haven't had these conversations with your partner have them as early as possible um i'm a financial advisor i'm Getting married, we're planning a wedding, but you better believe that we talked about our, you know, we didn't talk about the X's and O's of like who has what until after we got engaged, but we talked about our values around money. We talked about, you know, are we, are we spenders? Are we savers? Do we appreciate, you know, buying things or do we appreciate buying experiences? You know, these are yeah. conversations that you need to make sure that you're on the same page with with someone as early as possible. Like I said, it doesn't have to be the X's and O's of like, how much do you make? But like, you know, general <laughs> understandings of values and, and core principles, you know, the earlier you find these things out, the better off you're going to be.
1: Yeah, And some things could end up being a red flag for you. I mean, I, oh, yeah. I remember watching a show one time and me and my buddies were watching it. uh And we were joking around. Cause somebody, uh, I think they were dating somebody and this person, they they get engaged and this person's like oh yeah I have like a hundred thousand dollars or it wasn't a hundred thousand dollars I think it was more like fifty thousand dollars of debt it wasn't even student debt it was just credit card debt mm-hmm. those those are some probably red flags of one. What are you getting into debt over with a credit card fifty thousand worth? You know, are you in, are you figuring out a business? What's going it, on wait, here? Was or that a it,
0: shopping thing? get well, yeah, again, it,
1: shopping spree. That's where vacations. the layers of
0: the conversation have to come from. You know, yeah, so- YOLO
1: on the TikTok. You know, whatever it is. Yeah,
0: yeah, and you know. <laughs> so- not not all not all situations are going to be the same. There are going to be some situations where you see somebody's like fifty grand in debt, and you, like you mentioned, maybe it's like a student loan. Maybe they got they, they were in medical school or they went to law school or something, but they're making good money now. So we're not yeah. we're not as concerned about right, it, right? Or maybe something happened, and they you know for for you for me, I had forty grand in medical bill debt for a little while because I have mm. a, I have a heart condition and it required some surgeries, and it's just like. It was one of those facts. I, yeah. I granted I had paid it off before I met my fiance, so wasn't that big of a deal. But again, there are there are situations in life where like things happen. It's just a matter of being transparent. And again, you, in theory, you're a partnership, so everybody needs to know what's happening on the table. Anyway,
1: yeah, good points there. Good good info and advice for millennials and women specifically. Uh, some other questions I want to ask you, just because you're. A financial advisor. And I think these are interesting and kind of fun questions as well. One I want to say is people talk about this isn't financial advice. You'll watch, uh, maybe even my podcast has said it too, (laughs) but like uh, social media, people will say, oh, in quotations, this isn't financial advice. And they'll say that on social media and podcasts, but what is like the legal definition of that? And when do you actually cross a boundary?
0: Okay, so I'm going to, I'm going to pull up the Word document because I did actually have to like pull up the legal definition okay, of it. Okay. Uh, and, I, and I want to make sure I don't misquote it because obviously we're going with definitions and we want to be precise here. Mm-hmm. Two seconds. Zoom this bad boy in. Whoop, zoom this bad boy out. Too much zoom. Too much zoom. All right, let's see. So, so the best definition I've been able to find for financial advice is any recommendation, guidance or proposal of a financial nature furnished by any means or medium to a client in respect of purchasing any financial product or in respect of the investment of any financial product on the conclusion of any other transaction, including a loan or session aimed at incurring of any liability or acquisition of any right or benefit in respect of any financial product or in variation of any term or condition applying to a financial product on the replacement of any such product, or on the termination of any purchase of investment in any such product and irrespective of whether or not such advice is furnished in the course of an incident to financial planning in connection with the affairs of the client or results in any such purchase, investment, transaction, variation, replacement, (laughs) or termination, as the case may be, being affected.
1: Wow. Okay. And is a lot of words classic legal document right there that's exactly yeah it doesn't doesn't necessarily necessarily clear up anything is there oh, like exactly. a, a summary of that that you would say <laughs>
0: yes so in short financial advice is any advice recommending a particular course of action of a financial nature in short
1: okay uh yeah so, and so
0: if we look at that definition then You know, it it becomes very easy to see that basically anything you tell anybody about their finances is actually financial advice. Telling somebody to put money into a savings account, that's financial advice. Mm -hmm. And the this isn't financial advice label has no legal bearing. So you can put that as a disclaimer. You can put it on social media. You can say it in your podcast. It genuinely means nothing and protects no one.
1: Mm, okay. So, yeah, just saying it and putting it in whatever. Yeah, that's not a real legal disclaimer. So, nope. it's nope. just got to be careful, especially with podcasts like this. I'm, you know, I talk about the different assets and I talk about real estate and things like that and, and deals that I've been in and deals that we've closed on and things like that. But I don't think I've ever said, well, I know I've never said this on this podcast, you should invest in this deal or things like that. And that would be something that I guess would be, be considered financial advice, but me just talking about benefits of real estate, like say it's the five benefits of real estate and, you know, here's the benefits of stock market. And then here's the cons of stock market or uh, paper assets. Here's cons of real estate, things like that. That isn't as much financial advice. That's just kind of education on the subjects, I guess.
0: You can, you can make the argument either way. I'm assuming a good attorney could take you to court for either of them personally. Okay. Well, I'll be Uh, careful. I (laughs) think, Yes. Well, and I think, you know, again, there's there's some financial advice that's considered very basic and pretty kosher across the board. I think that's why Dave Ramsey has been so appealing to so many people. You know, his advice of pay off debt and save for the future. That's that's pretty, pretty kosher. There's not a whole lot of, of trouble yeah. most people can get themselves into while paying off their credit card debt. That's it's, it's pretty good. And that's part of the reason why it's been his message for so long is because. There's really not a whole lot yeah. anybody can say about it from a legal
1: perspective. Yeah, right. It's, like, um, that's it's when you advice. start
0: giving. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. Exactly. Like what, what? What's what's the downside? That's that's kind of constantly what you have to be thinking of. Yeah. What is what is the downside of me giving people this information? And you have to make that decision from there.
1: Now he does have people on his podcast call in, and they'll give his their exact scenario of what's going on, and he'll maybe say certain things. I don't think he necessarily says. Well, I I don't know. I don't listen to his podcast a lot or things like that, but he'll have callers. But that's probably where maybe he's having the caller sign something on the front end. But that's probably where it's getting close to It's really getting close with the line there of giving these people exactly, you know, kind of a step by step process over a five minute phone call, 10 minute phone call, Mm -hmm. something
0: like that. Yeah, my guess is that Team Ramsey has, you know, levels of legal work in place. Um, my guess is that they probably have everybody, you know, somebody reviewing every podcast before it goes out. You know, they mm-hmm. yeah. probably only air certain calls that come in and they're probably airing the ones where they know things can be the most culture- kosher.
1: Yeah. OK, well, now let's get to a more interesting one. Like everyone knows Dave Ramsey is like, OK, heard Dave Ramsey. Let's talk about Kim Kardashian. Yeah, yeah. Hey, that's going to get the that's going to wake the listeners up. I know she's actually in a lawsuit right now because uh, someone is saying that she gave financial advice on a cryptocurrency and do you know a little bit about that can you take us into that is it actual financial advice what did she even do or say that would make some i mean did she say that everyone should invest in this crypto and that's why they're calling it financial advice basically
0: yes give us the gossip
1: give us the tea spill the tea
0: In order to understand the whole Kim K drama, we actually have to go back to November of 2017 when the SEC put out a ruling to celebrities and public figures who wanted to cash in on this digital asset craze, you know, NFTs and coins, and, you know, anything else that people were coming up with the SEC in a, you know, a proactive move, for once, decided to kind of get ahead of the hype. And they were like, look, if you, you know, we're not saying you can't endorse these products. That's not what we're saying. We're saying if you you do decide to endorse these products, you have to not only disclose that you're being, you know, that you're endorsing a product, you have to tell the people that you're being paid you have to tell people the amount that you're being paid mm. you have to tell people what you're being paid for and you have to tell them the nature of the payments so if you're being paid in a coin to promote the coin to your yeah. you know your audience of a million people the audience has to know that and again this is one of those situations where when you know the legal definition you're like wow there are a lot of people out there who are actually breaking this rule which is you know kim kardashian being one of them she was paid by this company to endorse a coin and I'm not going to mention the coin's name because your girl intends to keep yeah. her license. Uh, <laughs> and she, you know, she promoted it to her massive audience without any kind of legal disclosure. And she was just made to pay a fine of over a million dollars. was like 1.2 million, which for her is chump change. But like, you know, we take <laughs> what we can get in this life. And there are several other celebrities who have cases like that that are active and ongoing.
1: So they needed, If they want to abide by the rules, they needed to say, hey, I invest in this coin but in reality i'm getting paid by i'm getting i'm endorsed i'm getting paid by i don't know the the crypto creator of this Mm -hmm. coin and a certain amount and people need to know that because you know that that can almost be a little bit it's important. It's
0: It's important and the more you think about it the more you're like wow that is actually important to know like if somebody's saying something is cool and they're being paid to say something is cool. You you want to know that. You want to know what their their skin in the game is, as it were.
1: Yeah, 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 for sure. And I'm sure there's a lot of people that are, especially in the crypto world, uh, that uh, probably fall, fall into violation. Even let's so like with Bitcoin, there's a mm-hmm. ton of people. Michael Saylor, Pompliano. I mean, their the podcasts brother's are, <laughs> are yeah, their the brother's bi- <laughs> yeah, their podcasts are about Bitcoin and. It, I mean, I think Michael Saylor even was telling like people to you know, like get rid of their houses, use that money to invest in crypto. Like that's, that's not good. That's financial advice right there. That's that
0: that not, is for support. That is definitely financial Yeah, Yeah,
1: that, that's uh, pretty, yeah. So even things like that. But so just, I guess what I would ask is, does crypto or Bitcoin, does it fall into that same category or is it kind of more of a commodity? Um, but even still, I guess it'd still be financial advice, but is there really, I guess, any difference between That Bitcoin, you know, these people promoting Bitcoin like Michael Saylor and Pompliano who have a lot of, you know, Bitcoin compared to Kim Kardashian with her crypto coin.
0: Sure. So my assumption of the difference is that Kim Kardashian promoted this coin because she was paid to. And the gentleman in question, because it is by and large gentlemen, are okay. promoting, they might be being paid to do it. And if they are, they need to disclose that. But if they're not being paid to do it, and they're promoting it because they genuinely like it, they're like, Bitcoin is cool. And I'm just telling people that it's cool. And they own it, then those are going to be different things from a legal perspective. Granted, okay. they might be saying it's cool because they genuinely believe that it's the wave of the future and that everybody should be doing it. And it's a totally altruistic move. Um, I think we've both been around long enough to know that there are very few things in the world of personal finance that are wholly altruistic. Mm-hmm. Um, they might also be pumping or uh, not necessarily pumping. I don't want to use that word. Um, they might also be promoting these things to their audiences because the more people that want to buy things, the more the- demand there is, the higher the price is going to be. And ultimately, they benefit. From right. higher prices, more exactly. demand than anybody else does. So they might not be being paid directly to do it, but they could be, you know, reaping other benefits. And I think that's a very important thing to you know think through as you're making financial decisions.
1: Well, yeah, some of these celebrities have massive influence. I mean, mm-hmm. Elon Musk can tweet one thing about Dogecoin and it skyrockets. It
0: can, and it did. <laughs>
1: it, it, and the same thing with uh, uh, GameStop. It mm-hmm. happened in the stock market too. You know, it just d- d- I mean. Elon Musk's if he tweets something like maybe I should buy Dogecoin, maybe I should buy uh, GameStop and get in on the hype or whatever it is. Like uh, one as an investor, that's where I would be like, okay, uh, that's going to be a dangerous game to play because mm-hmm. it's being pumped up because of hype, not necessarily good backing. Financial not any energy.
0: underlying value or, right. or at least not a deal, an underlying value that we know of that justifies that kind of price.
1: So, yeah, so, but I like, I like the distinguish. you did make a good distinguishment against, or, uh, you know, if someone's endorsed, got to say that you're endorsed and being paid to sell this crypto or whatever it is. But, you know, if someone just believes in a commodity, like I know Peter Schiff all the time, Robert Kiyosaki too, all yeah. the time talking about gold, silver, things like that, you should get involved in those. Well, you know, they're, uh, they're not being, um, uh, they're not making money by saying those things. Uh, so yeah,
0: it's, it's still financial advice, but it's less of a paid endorsement and more of a like, this is mm-hmm. my version of public service. Yeah. Like it might not be wholly altruistic public service, but that's yeah. their version of public service.
1: So, so in a time where a lot of people, are, you know, you can learn a lot from podcasts, social media, TikTok, whatever it is. What other tips do you have on weeding out bad advice from social media or, you know, even podcasts, whatever it is. Uh, and... I guess sometimes people are looking in the wrong places for financial advice, maybe. But uh, what other tips do you have on on weeding that out when you know just scrolling on TikTok or whatever it is?
0: Yeah, so the first automatic red flag is my in my head is any product, service, or investment that the person trying to sell it is going to solve everybody's problems, like it's good for everyone. Mm -hmm. Um. You know, to me, good marketing is going to discount as many people as it includes. So, you okay. know, it's going to say this is going to be great for people in X, Y, Z situation, but it's also not going to be great for people in X, Y, you know, these other situations. Like if you make less than a certain amount, or if you don't have X number set aside or can't handle risk, like good marketing is going to make that distinction right. and not say everybody should do this. Mm. Everybody needs this. You know, everybody needs water and oxygen largely, but past that, there's a lot more nuance to the <laughs> conversation. And if, if the marketing doesn't include that nuance, then that needs to be a red flag. Um, I think any also any marketing that relies on, you know, this is what millionaires are doing, or this is what billionaires are doing, and therefore you should be doing it too. That's also a big red flag for me. Mm-hmm. Millionaires and billionaires can have a private jet, but that doesn't mean that you should have a private jet. You probably shouldn't have a private jet, honestly. <laughs> Um, so just millionaires and billionaires doing something isn't a good enough reason for somebody else to do it because we don't all live the same life and there needs to, as I've probably said ad nauseum at this point, there needs to be more nuance to the conversation at this point. Yeah. Uh, and those, those are the two big ones that come to the top of my head. I would say other things to keep in mind when you're consuming financial content. Um, the more vague and general it is, the more kosher it probably is. Um, yeah. People like me who put out financial content, we are very vague. But that's also important because we want to make sure that we aren't harming anyone. We also want to make sure we're not going to jail. Uh, <laughs> so, it's
1: little, intentionally little-
0: vague. Exactly. Exactly. There's a level of intentionality. And I would say probably the more vague the advice, the more professional the person giving it is, would Mm -hmm. be my guess, because they probably have more skin in the game, more knowledge around what's going to get people sent to jail. So in order to get real individual personal financial advice, you probably need to consider consulting an advisor or a planner or something like that.
1: Okay. Well, this has been a great episode. I think it's super interesting. And I think it's super important for people to know and understand. And uh, I just think it's been a fantastic episode for sure. So Anna, thank you for coming on. How can listeners get in touch or follow you?
0: Yeah. So I would say if you're looking to get in touch with me, email is going to be the best way to do it. It's going to be Anna, A-N-N-A dot K-A-R-E-I-S at N-M dot com. And then if you're just looking to follow along with my shenanigans, then maybe get in touch later. I would say follow me on LinkedIn. I have a pretty large profile there by LinkedIn standards. So first name, last name, I think I'm the only one on the platform and that's, that's where you find me.
1: Perfect. Well, I will add those to the show notes and yeah, thanks for coming on.
0: Absolutely. Thanks for having me.
1: Thank you for listening to this episode of money vision. You, if this is something that added value to you, then please subscribe, leave a review and share. We are passionate about teaching financial literacy so you can learn to take control of your financial future. If you want to learn more, then follow us on social media platforms at MoneyVisionU. We look forward to catching
0: you in the next class.